1: Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. We're aiming to be a bit more high energy this week, Dave, because I listened back to the episode we did a couple of weeks ago and we sounded like two men who just crawled out of a pub at four in the morning and decided to get on the microphone. So a little bit more pep in our step today. I yeah, think. well,
0: I've not crawled out of a pub at four in the morning this time.
1: <laughs> Which always helps. Uh, we've got loads to talk about. We had intended to record last week after the Coventry game and after transfer deadline day but truth be told I was just too knackered on the Wednesday uh, having been up until 2 o'clock and then then starting again at 8 uh, and then the Thursday was my day off which I, I needed and then we had the press conference on the Friday and it was like oh, we're almost into the game now let's see how the QPR game goes. That was an extremely boring explanation. Hopefully we can be less boring when we talk about the Coventry game, Dave, which you and I after the whole game we were very well, we we were sort of came to the same place on it, but I think we came at it from quite different angles. But you and I almost text each other the same thing after that Coventry game. We both felt that was Mark Frotheringham's worst game as head coach of Huddersfield Town.
0: By a mile. By a mile. Thought they were they were really really poor in that game, and then commentary just commentary came out after halftime, and you could see it in them. They they basically came out as a side who had seen everything they had to cope with in that first forty five minutes, and thought yeah fine, and just came out and basically just upped it about 5 10 percent, and that's all it took to take the most comfortable you know 2-0 win of 2-0 wins
1: yeah and no response from no. town unfortunately no change. It, you know it, the, the, it was
0: the... it was horrible <laughs> it was horrible
1: yeah it was awful to watch we were just waiting for the changes to come and they didn't they were all straight swaps three substitutions that he made it was evident that the the tactics weren't working but he stuck with them through the 90 minutes i asked him after the game why he'd done that and he basically said well we did make changes against hull and it didn't work so mm. I was a little bit reluctant this time, which I think sort of speaks of a bit of inexperience. Because to me, it's like, well, yeah, but you were yeah. winning against Hull, yeah. <laughs> so ch- changing it might not have been the best thing. But you were losing against Coventry. What did you have to lose when it it wasn't working anyway? But I think that that three four two one as often happens this is why town changed their formation a lot last season i think not you know they stuck with the 3-4-3 for a while first half last season and they reached a point of diminishing returns on it and needed to freshen it up and i think this was a game where it became apparent that was the case with with this shape and and unfortunately it took until kickoff against qpr for fotheringham to actually change it mm. uh it, it was a really really dismal game i oh,
0: thought yeah i mean i it was a good job we didn't pod last week in a, in a lot of ways because I uh, yeah it would have it, I'd have had to Roy Keenum. it was a proper two footed two feet off the ground coming in full pelt back of the calf it it would it would not have been a good pod to listen to,
1: and I can understand as well a lot of the fans were irritated by the thumber of, of Mark Fotheringham's post match mm. comments. That's uh, where we think we were to be fair, Steve.
0: Let's be yes.
1: Honest. Well, in the press box, you were you weren't there, but I came out surrounded by a lot of people, local media from Coventry. I was the only uh, Huddersfield person there um, at that time, and everyone was just like, "What? What was he on yeah. about? <laughs> like, did he watch the same game as us?" But I think, and he basically confirmed this at his presser today when when he wasn't even asked about why he's been so upbeat and positive. I don't think, but he answered the question anyway, and. I got the the impression and I think that press sort of confirmed it that he was protecting the players after that because I think I think he knew that, that that failure was was on him to a large extent and there's nothing to be gained from throwing the players under the bus um when they failed because of what he's asked them to there, do
0: There's not but at the same time there there are ways to not throw the players under the bus but also not try and mm. tell the fans how delighted you were with that performance and now you think you did okay and you know it was only the fine margins because it clearly wasn't and the problem was that
1: no.
0: you just you end up keeping the players on side in your own mind we don't know if I, I never know how much that sort of thing works in truth but then if mm-hmm. <laughs> the flip side of that is that you're just annoying the crowd it is is it worth the payoff you know I I don't know I don't know but yeah we we it was a poor performance and it was a poor manager's performance as well and i think we both felt exactly the same you know if 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 we could have come away from watching that game thinking well at least they tried but you know it wasn't their night or we could see the sort of two or three changes of shape or counters to try and to try and work things out and and try and adjust in game i think we'd have felt better but we were pretty uh yeah, we, we 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 were not really impressed were we Steve. Not that our opinion counts I would for rather, much but we weren't we weren't impressed were I, we. I,
1: I I would have been almost happier if they'd rolled the oh, dice absolutely up and yeah. ended up losing three or four, absolutely. you know. Um it, yeah, it was it was really listless and as you say at half time there was there was nothing in that game. You know, 0-0 was absolutely the right score at half time and it was that was the frustrating thing. Was Coventry actually adapted? I think they spent the first half trying to play through town. Realised they were getting nowhere with it. I thought, to be fair, Scott High had a a really good first half. Made a lot of interceptions, but he wasn't the only one. They, would, they were they doing a good job of stopping Coventry play through them. But you know, they just their work on the ball was abysmal. Absolutely abysmal. Uh, I wrote about it in the five conclusions, which is it's been and gone now. And we won't spend too much longer on this game because it was over a week ago now. But their work on the ball was was really, really Mm. poor. Coventry, not a huge amount better, but they actually started to try and find different angles of approach in the second half, and Town didn't. They kept doing what they were trying to do. There was very little interchange. No players trying to sort of play off each other. I think the two who were trying to do it was Scott High and Dwayne Mm. Holmes, and they seemed to stop doing it, second half as well. Joe Hungbo was left totally isolated. It was... um, It was not a functional side um, by any stretch of the imagination in that second half. Yeah,
0: it was... I was really... Frustrated after the whole game with how they had gone a goal up and then basically just become so passive and tried to sit back and hold it when there was absolutely no need to. In this game, it felt like they were sort of passive from the off and they had very little to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And they never really changed that approach. I mean, I'm with you. If, you, if you're if 2-0 down, just go balls to the wall. I mean, if you lose 3-4-0, so be it. You know, if you, if you get caught on the counter, so be it. But... It was the fact there was just like, there was a resignation at 0 nil and then another resignation at one nil and then another resignation at 2 nil where you just think, oh, come on, <laughs> you know, there, yeah. there has to be more than than this. So, yeah, it made, I was te- as I said to somebody on the town staff and as I said to you before the QPR game, it made it feel unnecessarily big because if you come off the back of those yeah. two
1: results, then suddenly Saturday becomes massive. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll move on to the QPR game in a moment, but we had deadline day in between, and I think we sort of knew what to expect from Huddersfield Town on deadline day, which was no big surprises, a goalkeeper coming in, we actually got two in in the end, um, just one for extra cover with Jordan Smith, but um, I think we were still going into deadline day, a little bit unsure as to, to who they were going to go for, but... They'd been linked with Thomas Vatschlich, uh earlier in the window, and then it seemed to be a bit of a non-starter. Um, but they then revived that bid and, and managed to get it over the line. He talked about, when we spoke to him last week, about how they'd basically sat him down and said, look, your family are staying out in Greece, but this is how we can make it work. We'll pay for, you know... We'll get them out to you. We'll get the flights booked for them to come out and see you. So it's only three months, really, although it's a permanent permanent mm. deal. It is actually not a permanent deal, uh, if that makes sense. But they just needed that cover for Lee Nichols. And to be fair, you can't really argue with the, the check number one as your temporary goalkeeping cover, can no, you? No,
0: and I think it works out brilliant for both parties because Town gets somebody who has clearly got the pedigree to be able to replace Lee Nichols, But... Also, let's be honest. He gets the chance to put himself in the shop window before being, you know, on a free this summer, um, and he could feasibly end up on a Premier League bench. Maybe could be a Championship number one. You know, it's it's some deals that just make sense all the way round. And I think it's worth touching on Jordan Smith, who some people have been a little bit cruel about. Some Forest fans um, have a quite a low opinion of him. I think what it's important to know is that we've spoke to people who know people at Forest and have worked with him, and they've all universally said two things really. One is that he's, he's a, like a brilliant lad, super professional, great to have around the club. And the second is that, I hate to say it, but there's a little bit of the Ryan Schofields about him in that his big struggle is he can no longer really play in front of his home fans. That's the issue. So it kind of makes sense to bring him in, have a look, you know, see if if see if he can get slightly back on track. Because there is no denying, you know, his his career has has you know faltered a bit. Um, but it happens, doesn't it? It happens. So both make make a hell of a lot of sense, really, hell of a lot of sense. I think there were. It's also worth talking about who didn't come in, really, Steve. And that's I think a lot of people were wanting a left back to arrive, weren't they?
1: Yes. Yeah, they were, and I asked Mark Fotheringham, "Did did you look at left backs?" He said, um, "They did, but they they basically didn't feel they could they could get one done." I sort of understand the constraints around it because they didn't have any money. The money they did spend went on Vachlik, who was obviously a much greater need. Um, was getting that goalkeeper in. Uh, They had the opportunity to bring in Matt Lowton, who actually I don't think has been very good the last couple of games, but obviously he's got Premier League pedigree, etc., and he's the right back. Um, So I think coming into the window, they might be looking at it saying, we'll get someone for one of the full-back slots and not the other. Um, On the other hand, I do think they needed that left back. You know, I think it's evident Mark Fotheringham agrees, um, having dropped Josh Ruffles at the weekend... Uh, ben Jackson is injured at the moment he's got a quad injury so Jaheim Headley was on the bench it Would be uh, he's done fantastically well uh, in League 2 with Harrogate Town if you go and talk to Harrogate fans or people that have covered Harrogate in the media they will tell you that out of the four players Harrogate had on loan from town early this season he medley was, was head and shoulders and they were all absolutely gutted when Town recalled him earlier in the January transfer window so it would be interesting to see if he gets a, a chance but he is a young player um, um, so it would be a lot to put on his shoulders I think the issue with Ruffles is at both ends really I think There's lots of ways in which he's broadly fine. I I think when you look at his stats, they don't stand out as like absolutely rancid, but he's not the strongest in the defensive third. As we saw against Coventry, he got skinned again, which is what's that third or fourth goal Mm -hmm. they've conceded this season where he's been too easily beaten and he doesn't offer much at the other end either, which is a bit of a surprise because that was his great strength at Oxford, was his ability to get forward and put crosses into the box. His crossing stats in League One were exceptional, uh, and that was playing for an Oxford side. You know, it's not like they had a Peter Crouch up front. They had a striker who was sort of five foot eleven. you know? Um, so... It's a shame. He's a nice guy, very hard working from anyone you speak to. But I think that was obviously a problem position. We we sort of kept our powder dry because you and I were both of mine. We wanted to see him without Will Boyle for a bit. But um I think yeah, I think it was evident it wasn't working. And you wonder if if they went into this January transfer window again, whether that might be something they put higher up the priority list. However, they were the busiest team. If you include the loan recalls, the busiest team in the division in January. And sometimes it is a matter of you you can't get everything you want. What's your take on it? Um, I I think there is
0: an issue there. Like, I, and I think Ben Jackson's good when he when he gets back, but he has been absent from the side. I think there are. I wouldn't say issues around him being trusted. I think it's more um, you have to remember it's not like he's a player who's got two and a half seasons in the championship behind him. Um, So do you trust him to play every game between now and the end of the season? I'd say absolutely not. I think Headley, we've seen him playing for the B team. We've always been impressed. He's done very, very well at Harrogate. But we come back to the same thing we said about Nicholas Bilokopic really, which is we're about to come into what's going to be a pretty stressful running to say the very least where there are going to be a lot of games decided on fine margins so do you you know do you want do you really want to throw a player into that who's who's you know not even really sort of comfortable in a first team yet you know he's had half a season at Harrogate yeah
1: (sighs) he is a quiet personality as well you know
0: and I think having the options to swap lowton over to that side who has played on the left in his career not extensively but he has played there i think gives you the option on paper but uh, it, it does feel like an area of weakness because we'll get on to the QPR match but i think if you in the QPR match you had you could see the beginnings of a bit of a relationship between Turton and Hungbo whereas on the mm-hmm. left-hand side I can't honestly point to a decent relationship between anyone they've tried over there. Um, You know, whoever's played in front of Ben Jackson or whoever's been up there. I think that's a worry. I do think that's a worry, and you've got teams that teams target that side. Every team that plays Huddersfield Town targets the left-hand side, and that's because the analysts watch and believe that's where the weakness is. You haven't strengthened there at all that's a worry isn't it
1: yeah I think they've got better options at centre back now I I don't think Matty Pearson had a great first half actually um, against Coventry on the ball I thought he was he was quite sloppy but we know that he's very defensively solid you know I I think obviously Lucan Betty's gone back and he's gone out on loan to, to Bolton now but you know I think Will Boyle's minutes from now to the end of the season are going to be limited particularly if they keep with a four at the back and I know that Mihal Helix got a bit of an injury concern after he got a, a knock to his knee against QPR, but even then you've got Pearson who can come in now. I think Turton covered there in a back three, um, or then then you're back to who do you play at left back because yeah. then you'd think Lowton would go back over. So it is it is a weakness. I think it's arguably less of a weakness with a different centre-back there, and that's not a knock on Will Boyle, who I think is... Well, it is a little bit, let's be honest, but, you know... He, I don't think it's a knock on will ball to say he's not as good as Matty Pearson. (laughs) Um, You know, he was signed to be fourth choice and he has looked fourth choice. Um, And that's fine as long as you're not getting your fourth choice playing 20 games a season as he would have done if Pearson had been out for the whole campaign. So... It is a weakness, but they're going to have to live with it now. You know, they're going to have to find a way to, to make it work um, and hope it doesn't cost them too much. I think you would probably say that every team in that end of the table has a notable weakness yeah. somewhere in them, yeah. and maybe that just happens to be Towns.
0: Yeah, though, uh, yeah. You know, as I said, it's just it's just that thing of having watched every opposition side come and target yeah, that area yeah. and you haven't done anything about it, that you think, OK, well, you're going to have to do something clever tactically. Or change something yeah. with the personnel you've got because otherwise it's they're still gonna just keep dropping that ball into that area every single time. So mm. I think
1: part part of, part of me wonders if it's if it was partly down to loan slots as well. Why they didn't? Because it, I think if they were if they had been looking as they were originally at looking at getting a keeper on loan, they would have had their five pretty much mm. taken up. Um, and it only became apparent very 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 late on that it was going to be a permanent for Vachlik. Um and by that point, it's very difficult to go out and get another player who is a notable improvement on Josh Ruffles and bring them in on loan for the rest of the season, to say nothing of any implications on wage bill, etc.
0: Yeah, yeah. I Look, I, I don't... I'm not as down on Josh Ruffles as a lot of people have been. It's probably worth saying that because a lot of this sounds like we're, we're targeting him, really, because we're saying the position he's played in is Towns' problem's position. The problem is, I think it's like... It's always been their stress position that side since Harry Toffolo went. Really, it's always the area of the opposition of bombing balls into, so it's always difficult yeah. to play there.
1: And I Toff's wasn't great in the air, which which Ruffles is is actually yeah. better at. That's probably the one thing you would say he's he's better at. He's, he gets caught in the air less than Toff's. But I think did. that
0: like the thing about Josh Ruffles is he's there are certain things he does okay. And there are other things that he needs to work on, and the problem is the things he needs to work on, he, he keeps getting caught. You know, getting caught square for that Coventry goal, like don't get caught square in your box like that. You know, that's one of well, we, we, at first yeah. rule of first rule of left back club.
1: He he looks at times, doesn't he, like a midfielder who became a left back, which is exactly mm. what he is. But I think I think above all else, he just you know Ollie Turton came in and played a thousand minutes and looked like a League One player, and then once he hit that thousand that minutes or thereabouts, suddenly he looked like a Championship mm. player. And I can't—we said the other day—I can't remember the last time Oli Turton had an actively bad game, and three months out definitely helps him with that. But I thought he was their best player on mm. Saturday. Um, he's been very reliable for a long time. He kept Pipper out of the team last year on merit. And I think we were sort of hoping at the start of this season that Josh Ruffles would have a similar thing because he barely played last season. He only played about 400 minutes or something like that last season. But he's nearly at 2,000 minutes now and and it's not happening. Well, it, it's so, not only
0: that. The thing that the thing that we were really hoping to see from him there was that he needed to do a little bit of work on his defending but his attacking output was good enough yeah. to... Make, still make him viable to keep in the side and the problem is he's he's not offered anything really going forward I think his crossing has been terrible uh, in, in truth yeah. so yeah. when you have the problem on the front foot and the back foot that that means there is an issue doesn't there but I like I'm not I'm in all seriousness I am genuinely not as down on him as some um you know I've seen some some pretty awful stuff directed his way social media wise yeah. I, I he's just I think he's just a functional player in that role, and I think Town fans have have had some decent left backs over the years, and they have one in very recent memory to refer to. It's it's part well two yeah, really yeah it's part of the issue. So yeah, I if if Josh Ruffles was your backup instead of your number one choice, you would say that's absolutely fine, wouldn't you? You know that's that's yeah really his role, but
1: mm, and and it is his role. You know they signed you to Nakayama to replace. Mm. and uh, you know i wonder if that's another part of it as well Is you know it's (laughs) on loan it's hard to get those those players in again who are a notable upgrade and do you want to go and sign someone on a permanent when Mm. you're expecting you to back start next season i I don't know i think it was nice and you've got no money for a step he
0: popped up in the back of a couple of photos the other day i don't know if you saw that which yeah, was nice. I saw him at the training. Nice ground earlier. to see him. Uh, nice to see him back and sort of start to his recovery work. It's good, really good. But yeah, I I think probably it's probably worth talking about the transfer window as a whole, really. And just I, I think a lot of I think a lot of fans are quite down on it, but I think I think they have plugged some gaps in that squad. But you, you look at the one obvious out which we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, th- that that's a. A big talking point, and, and rightly so, isn't it?
1: It's a gamble that has to pay off, obviously. Obviously, you're talking about John Russell. No, um, <laughs> sober, sober Thomas, obviously, um, going out on loan to Blackburn, which is, yeah, I think I completely understand it in that he wasn't in the starting lineup, his form hadn't been good, he looked like he needed a change of scenery, um, and You know, Blackburn have have made a good offer there that that helps town out financially in a month where they're trying to bring in a lot of new faces. Um, On the other hand, if he goes and... and To be honest, it was more divisive than I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be universally unpopular. But you can see from the poll that that Andy takes that chance set up. It was pretty much 50-50. Um, between fans who are glad to see the back of him and and fans who weren't. I think the stick that Silber Thomas has got is way beyond what he deserves. But at the same time, I think he hadn't been performing. Uh, And I think even if he he goes and performs at Blackburn, I think that's almost what they want. Um, That is what they want because they want to to protect his valuation, first and foremost. Um, I think, obviously, he's one of the players, probably the player, who you would look at for this summer and think is he one that they could sell for millions of pounds Um, particularly if he does well at at Blackburn that will certainly increase his his stock on that front he wasn't going to increase it sitting on the bench at a team that's fighting relegation Um, but on the other hand he as we've said before Town, I think, would effectively be down already without his contribution at the start of the season. That's a long time ago now. But you look at the number of assists that he racked up between sort of August and uh, and October, and he was top of the championship mm-hmm. assist charts. Let alone top of Town's. The issue is he hadn't done it for a long time. Uh, by the time he got to to the end of January.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm still quite conflicted on it. I think I. Like on paper, I can completely see the reasons for Town doing it, but as the expression goes, football isn't paid on paper. And he made a big difference, you know. He he made a big difference, and I think the problem Sorbers always had with a certain section of the fans is that he he's he set almost an impossible standard for himself to live up to, and then he became. Mm essentially town's only creative outlet for a, for a long time so he always had two men on him you know he was the one there was always a tactical plan for so yeah. other people were were playing poorly but not getting anything like the stick that thomas does because he's your he's your standout man but they were having a free run of it and he had three men to beat every time he got the ball so it's a difficult one i look He's one of them that I think only time will tell because I think if if Town survive and sell him for a million quid this summer, uh, fine, you know, fine.
1: Millions of quid. Well,
0: <laughs> I'd hope millions of quid, but completely depends on the market valuation, doesn't it, various mm. other factors and who's in for him. But the, the flip side is like if, if Town went down and he absolutely storms it at Blackburn, it, it doesn't look or feel great, does it? That's, yeah,
1: that's the issue. No. So the the ideal really is he goes Blackburn and and you know they're playing Wigan tonight. If he gets an ass, two assists against Wigan, gets two assists against Blackpool in a few weeks, mm. you know he can take he can help Town out that way. But yeah, if Town continuing... I mean that's that's the crux of it, isn't it? It's they can make it's up to them to make this irrelevant and to show that this wasn't a gamble because they had you know I can pull out numbers that will tell you that they were a better team this season without him on the pitch than with him on the pitch and they're pretty compelling. He is bottom of the pile for goals uh, minutes per goal mm-hmm. scored when he's on the pitch um, compared with with other players similar records. So, but yeah, I think they do need to break that one dimensionality. I do. <laughs> particularly against Coventry but also to a lesser extent against QPR over an hour I do wonder if Jack Radoni has now just ended up being the player that they're just lumping it towards and going you do something yeah
0: yeah. which is a a worry because I just don't think he's I, I just don't think he's quite there yet. I Like I like him, I think there's a player there. you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I've said it before, I think there's a good chance in 18 months or so he's a tremendous, tremendous player. But I just don't think he's quite there yet. I think the only way you get him there is to keep playing him, so I wouldn't advocate hooking him or anything like that. But you know like you saw with that run of five corners that he took mm-hmm. where he only beat the first man i think on one
1: <sighs> and that was cuz he went to the back and post that's... his set piece his set piece deliveries have been all right actually but yeah he had that that really bad <laughs> they, run against they Keefe, have
0: yeah. they right his set piece service has been okay but you just you you just hope that now Sorba's actually gone now he's not there and somebody has sort of said to him right okay you're on them now <laughs> It's it's your responsibility. This is what you're practicing well, doing. They've also got
1: Hungbo and Knockout. Yeah, who can who can, who can take them? Haven't they? Um, I'd, I'd, and I expect Knockout will. I'd take hope over. so
0: because I don't think lumping it all on him is is going to work. You know, I I I would have after that second one that sort of didn't go above knee height and went straight back out for another corner. I I would have hooked him off him straight away and got someone else to take them. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's lots. I think as I look at their transfer business as a whole, it's a bit how I feel about Zorba Thomas, which is just feels all ifs, buts, and maybe's. You know, I said on, mm. I cheated on you, Steve. I did. an a podcast, Randy takes that chance uh, a couple of weeks ago, talking about outrageous. A little bit about the transfer business, and they've just bought loads of streaky players in, and it's kind of mm-hmm. you're kind of gambling on like two of them to go on one of their streaks and I mean that's probably all it would take to genuinely lift them out above there but it, it, it is a gamble you know Waghorn Knockhart all the others you know if you get them on the, at their best for five six games brilliant and it's been absolutely worthwhile doing it but what do you do if they
1: all can't get firing yeah. that's uh, I think Thomas definitely fits into that. Camp yeah, oh well, yeah. Doesn't he? But the he's thing the is, thing, I think so. me
0: and you would both say if you kept playing Sorb Thomas from now till the end of the season, at some point he's going to have he that five have or six game yeah. run where he gets you know like six assists and a couple of man of the match performances. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're, uh, time will tell.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? And see, Knockhart can lift the crowd. And I think we, we saw, you know, the, the impact that it had on the crowd, him coming off the bench against QPR. The crowd, had, understandably, because it was a dreadful game, uh, had been completely dead for, until he was announced as a substitute. And then everyone, including the, his teammates, remembered, oh, yeah, we're at a football game. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it really lifted everyone on and off the pitch. Um, Waghorn. I've sort of i I've, I've been on record and I don't really get that sign-in. I think having seen him play a game and a half now, I think he's, it's quite evident that he is your Danny Ward replacement with, with Wardy out injured with a hamstring at the moment. Um, he does a lot of the work off the ball, does a lot of the link-up play. Um, and obviously he's got off the mark, which is decent. Camperi, we're both unconvinced mm-hmm. on. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Um lowton I think, has been poor the last couple of games, as I mentioned, but I think fundamentally he's a solid championship left-back. Um, can't really not that one. Uh, Hungbo has been interesting, seeing him. Uh, I think the, the threat he brings from direct set-pieces is something they've not had since Yuta Nakayama got injured, um, at, at, if nothing else. But he also looks very direct, very yeah. keen. Um a word as well for Josh Cromer who's mm-hmm. come back in and came off the bench against QPR and and likewise looked a completely different player to the last time we saw him in a town shirt so obviously they've, they've lost Kane Kessler Hayden which is a shame, they've lost Luke and Betty which I don't think anyone's shedding any tears over but best look to him at Bolton which I think is more his level um, Scott High's come back in who we're bigger fans of mm-hmm. than, than most but I thought he had a poor game against QPR as well to be honest um, so yeah i I think on paper it could be stronger on paper it might be the same um as you say because they've brought in a lot of unknowns and streaky players and you know players who are is it are they past their prime they brought in players who are what are they actually capable at this level like hungbo so it is a it is a mixed bag we will see how they go from here to touch on something as well before i forget I agree on rodoni that in general keeping him in keeping him in the side is is important for his development. I think he is an important player for them. However, I think more than anyone, he looked really jaded on yeah, yeah. Saturday. Um, he started all of the last fifteen games in various different roles. I don't think I don't think anyone else except maybe Tom Lees. In fact, not even Tom Lees, who had some games out ill. I think I don't think anyone. Hellick, there you go. Hellick's the only one that's had a longer run in the side. Um, so and he's like he looks likely to miss out against Blackpool, mm. so I think Rodoni could probably benefit with sitting out one of these upcoming games, but or at least you you have him on, you know, an hour, um and then you take mm. him off. But I mean QPR will move on to that game. <laughs> oh God, that first half <laughs> I thought both teams both teams were Ugh. dreadful really really poor that was the worst quality game we've seen for a long long time it
0: was a shocker an absolute shocker The 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 amount of passes that went out for a throw in the 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 amount of times that Helic or Lees just pumped a long ball forward to no one basically that either went out for a goal kick or through to the the goalkeeper I mean QPR were no better absolutely no better whatsoever absolutely not there there was half an hour of that first half that was as bad as I've seen a Huddersfield Town side play mm-hmm. f- for years under under you know any manager. It they they the lack of quality was just so stark, you know, so stark and. I don't think anyone exemplified that more than, than Jonathan Hogg on the day, who has been really, really good since coming back in. I, I genuinely think, you know, whether town have, have won or lost, Hoggy has been fairly reliable. You know, I think he's been fairly monotonous in that he, he's been been really good, but he really struggled, really, really struggled like yeah. with, with, um- with just basic passing and stuff.
1: Yeah, on the ball, one of his, must be one of his worst performances ever for town, and he's been there for, for 10 years, so that's, mm. that's saying something. Um, the, there was a run sort of midway through that first half where, about you know, you talk about Jack Rodoni's mm. corners, but John knock was like that from open play at one point, he was just just one of them he was sort of under pressure and got a tackle but the others he was completely (laughs) under no pressure at all and he was just passing it straight Mm. to QPR attackers in his own half it was it was absolutely bizarre Um, it was weirdly it was you know Mark Fotheringham's talked a lot about getting experience into the side to try and get them out of it but I think it was the experienced players who actually let them down a lot in that first half I agree
0: I I thought as I said I thought Lee's on the ball was awful absolutely awful Mm. his like he's not the one you want hitting the out ball anyway, but just just pumping it forward. Him and Helic, they that it was it was yeah. dreadful,
1: and I just he looked shaken. Hoggy was awful. Matt Luton, that that mistake is abs- uh, absurd, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absurd. I,
0: but it was sort of it was sort of completely symptomatic of the way they were playing that half that a, a defender the f- the first thing you taught like the first thing you taught when you're a kid is to, like don't play across your goals in the penalty area never play across your goal and like that header when I've looked at it a couple of times I'm genuinely not sure what he's wanting to do because it's not going anywhere near the keeper and he's not looking that way if he's trying to get it back to the keeper it's not going out and he's not looking that way to just put it out like I'm genuinely at a bit of a loss and it's not at half of me thought when it goes up for the header does he get like a proper shove or a nudge so that it, he sort of ends up having to change his body shape and it, the ball comes off him rather than him heading the ball? No, it's just one of those completely sort of inexplicable. Why have you done that? <laughs> moments. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, he's. I think he's looked sus in the air. There's three games in a row where, and this is the most obvious one, obviously because it directs, directly contributes, but. Against Hull, if you look at the build-up to their equaliser late on, he gets caught under the ball rather than getting a running start on his man and that allows the header into the box that they score from. Against Coventry, uh, the first goal is a ball forward to the wing, long ball forward and again, exactly the same, he gets under it and Coventry Mm -hmm. end up Winning that ball and Hamer then cuts inside and scores. And then obviously this one. So, yeah. I mean, you talk about targeting that, that left side. I don't know whether he's going to continue at left back or not. But if I was the analyst, I'd be saying knock not long balls mm. to him because he's, he's struggling with them. Um, yeah. I, I, I think he was promising his first couple of outings, Matt lowton But I don't think he's done himself huge favours over the last couple of games. Yeah. Um, but, but there yeah,
0: you go <laughs> I, I, I just I think I think the shape was poor and like I think the shape didn't work and I think then when you've got players who are having stinkers within a shape that's not working it just becomes mm. really, really really grim to watch and like I don't want to sound like Mark Fotheringham here but I, I sort of slightly hats off to the crowd be, who didn't turn anything mm-hmm. like as thought as I, much th- as, I, as I thought they might. You know, because yeah. 15, 20 minutes in and then QPR score, I thought this is going to get pretty grim. And I know Town get the goal at like a really good time and the goal comes out of nowhere and that probably prevents an awful lot of uh, booing at half-time as they come off. But even before that, I thought the crowd were, were still stayed behind the team on the pitch they were just quiet yeah. weren't they but that's that's just absolutely quiet. fair enough it it's what that yeah. what town didn't need in that situation playing that badly was was just to get absolute pelters i think if it had carried on that way and they hadn't got that goal they would have nobody could have argued with them getting you know yeah. getting doggo yeah. but before half time etc but yeah, it was it was staggeringly poor. But they did they did. It is worth saying that while neither of us are going to say this was a great performance, they did wake up a bit. They did get themselves yeah. going a little bit and at least get a little bit more quality on the ball. It, it never sort of, it never threatened to be more than that. But yeah, you know, at least they did get their heads back in the game, shall we say? Yeah,
1: they did. I mean, they were a bit. A little bit fortuitous on the goal I think Diang is one of the dodgiest Keepers in the division to be honest I think he should do better on that free kick But it's a well hit free kick uh, great reactions from Ollie Turton, who had bailed them out at the other end multiple times and was quickest to react to that ball and just put it across for, for Waghorn to... I mean, you or I... Well, you would have scored it. I would have oh. scored that goal. <laughs> um, but, um, no, great bit of business there. And, and as you say, a great time. But those were the only two shots they yeah. had in in the whole first half was, was the Hungbo initial shot and then Waghorn's finished. Mm. So, yeah, that's not great. But as you say... We criticised Walsingham for failing to adapt um, in the previous couple of games, but in fairness, it looked like they had a plan for this game. They made a, a triple sub just after the hour. Um, it was uh, Knockhart, Rhodes, and Karoma that went on. Uh, they switched shape. They went from a four-three-three to a four-two-three-one. Knockhart was playing pretty much yeah. a, a free role um, behind Jordan Rhodes, and that was their best spell i thought all of the subs who came on including brahima Diara who came on a few minutes later um imposed themselves on the game in a positive way
0: yeah I, I, when knockout came on it gave everybody a bit of a lift and then I think when he came on and immediately went left then dropped to the middle then went right then came all the way back over to the left then played in the middle a little bit and then dropped right it was that it was that little bit of unpredictability that Town have just so sorely missed and you can you can if he can do that for half an hour a game just come on and just uh, you know just have just be a front player that no one defender can just pick up easily because they know the space they're going to be in every time because one of the reasons town have been so easy to play against is because you know where the players are going to be at any one time. That makes a big difference. But they can't like with that personnel, they cannot play a four three three, Steve. They they can't do it the the way they were setting up to do it. Because when at the minute they switched into a four, two, three, one, they've got players close together and they're asking different questions. The way they're playing the four three three with pretty much a flat back four, and then you've got high hog who are they're gonna play in that sort of lower midfield space and Kasumu who can carry the ball and take it forward but ultimately he sits deep as well you're asking so much of a front three and then bear in mind that's a front three where essentially the striker's playing in the middle on his own and that striker is Martin Waghorn who is a bully and will try and win the ball etc but like he's winning the ball and there's no one close to him because Hungbo looks much more of a, a winger to me you know he, he sits yeah. a lot wider, and Rodoni, he he's he's difficult to categorise in a lot of ways, and but what he doesn't do is get tight to his striker, so you you're asking so much of the full-backs to try and get forward to offer any sort of support, particularly when you're playing ultimately out of possession a flat back four. It just doesn't work, Steve, because it just it it doesn't it doesn't give you enough risk. You know, it doesn't give you enough creativity. It doesn't it doesn't create enough space. Is is the ultimate thing. And when Town have been successful with four three threes under other managers in the past, it's only ever been when they've had players who are only essentially playing half a role in a four three three. So you have. Like a Harry Toffolo, who is half a defender, but really is half a winger as well. You know, he's Mm -hmm. essentially got a whole flank to himself. You know, uh, town haven't got the personnel to do that at the moment. So 4 3 3 for me is just a complete non starter. As soon as they go into that 4 2 3 1, you've got someone close to the striker. You've got a 10 who will drift, will create pockets of space, is trying to make things happen. It it just offers you so much more with the with the personnel they have, and I just I, I can't. There are ways you could make a four three three work with Town squad, but it it ain't picking that eleven, and it's to be frank, it's it's being an awful lot bolder than Town are. In truth, it was mm-hmm. so stark when Anthony Nockhart came on. How many times he was trying to drop into space, and how many times he was trying to thread the ball through, because not because he's exceptional at it. But because that's what he's done all his career, and Town haven't had anyone like that for for ages. Absolutely ages. <laughs> and they've they've got to find ways to be more creative because we're saying the subs came on and it looked better and brighter, and it did. And they had that run of corners and Diara shot, and they, they definitely finished... On the front foot, but they weren't. They didn't come on and change the game, and it. They. they it was like mm-hmm. like the Alamo, and Town were all over them. They didn't go win it three-one, no, did they? No. no. So they. There's just. I just find recently with town and with the way mark forring has been setting them up I, I i know everything they want to do defensively i know everything they want to do i'm still not sure what they want to do in attack because mm. what it often ends up with is a striker isolated centrally with no one within 20 yards of him one winger stuck mm. out on a touchline another winger who's supposed to come inside but as soon as your defender reads that and cuts you off it, it's, you know, that's <laughs> that's null and void. But then if you don't play with a midfielder who gets into that space behind, and, you know, the greatest respect to them, Kasumu, Hogg and Height are not playing in the space behind a striker or looking to get into that Skull slash lampard space. i
1: I think Kasumi was trying to carry the ball into those spaces. He's not going to make the no. late runs. He's not a goal scorer. But he was, I thought, he, he notably improved after the... I don't think he'd been bad in the first half, mm. actually. I didn't particularly notice him. But second half after those subs, I mm. thought he really came to life. Uh, and he created that chance for Jordan Rhodes that was that was well kept you,
0: out. You've got to think about a 4-2-3-1 in terms of the entire pitch. And you have you should have at any one time essentially a line of four players through the middle. And if you have a yeah. line of four players through the middle, you're, you've got somebody dropping into that space and getting closer to a striker. Whereas the mm-hmm. way Town play in other formations at the moment, you have a back line, you have a midfield, then you have sometimes 40 yards, and then you have a front two or a front three. And it, it's just not working. It just doesn't work because you are... are it's all right saying town sign strikers that don't score enough goals, etc. But the the stress on every chance, because they might get one a game, two a game, and it might be a half chance at that. It, the stress to take it every single time is just, is, is absolutely immense. Wardy last season outperformed all expectations because he just became so clinical. You know, like really, mm. really clinical. They haven't got somebody as clinical as that at the moment. It's that is the big conundrum and like even i said it to you steve right even if they went committed to going long ball right but they got players into the penalty area they got bodies there that were trying to make something happen and make something work even then you'd go all right well this this isn't great but fair enough i can see what you're doing but i'm i'm just sick to death of seeing three players up front with nobody within 15 yards of each other just trying to do an impossible task (laughs) you
1: know yeah it was it was really notable again read the conclusions but against Coventry it was the worst of both worlds because they'd start off trying to play the ball and be patient and build, build it up and pass it out from the back and then at a certain point they'd go, oh, "We're not getting anywhere with this," and they'd just launch it long to Redoni. And there were, I think there were counted, there were five players who did that in the space of about twenty minutes. All of them, at a certain point, just went, oh, "I'm just going to knock this long to Jack Radoni. Mm-hmm. It's like if you, as you say, if you're going to play long, I don't think they actually have the pace no, to play long. No, me issue. neither. But, but but if you are going to play long, play Commit long. Don't don't yeah don't because yeah, the whole point of playing long is meant to be you're catching the opposition in transition, you're doing it quickly and you're trying to catch them scrambling backwards. All town are doing it at the moment. And I know you're trying to draw them to to beat the press and then you, you draw them into the press and then you play over the press. That's presumably part of the idea. But they're not you know, they're not doing it with any accuracy. All they're doing is allowing the opposition to to set themselves mm-hmm. back up. Um I think Fotheringham does want them to be more possession based. I think I think there is a strong argument for the four two three one because the the big drawback of four two three one and the reason that football has generally moved on from it at the highest levels over the past fifteen years is that it's a very rigid formation. It, it you know Benitez and and to a lesser extent Mourinho, um, but certainly Benitez favoured it very very strongly when he was at Liverpool. And it can be very staid. It can be very rigid. It to be honest can be very very boring to watch um but i think mark fotheringham actually kind of wants those things to an extent he wants to have a rigid structure he wants to have something reliable um and i think having the 10 in there it, and having you know you're looking for, you're putting all the onus for your creativity on your wingers and your 10 but they've spent the whole january window signing wingers and tens basically um so although four two three one I don't think is gonna be a formation that propels you to the top of the table in this division in the modern age, I think it is one that that seems suited to town strengths or at least minimizes their weaknesses um and it won't it wouldn't be fun to watch at all. It would be quite dull, but I think it is maybe the shape that gets the most out of these players at the moment when they're looking low on mm-hmm. confidence, the four two three one at least is sort of structured and rigid by design Mm. rather than a formation that is best played more flexibly like a 4-3-3 that you're imposing being (laughs) rigid onto Mm. in a way that doesn't really suit it. I I just, with a
0: 4-2-3-1 Town have got a chance of getting three players in the box and at the moment they're struggling to get one player in the box in truth because It it's just so much hard work, and it's so easy to defend against the way town playing with a three at the moment, you know. So, I think the four two three one with you you keep Hungbo in the side and and you keep him as a winger, but you get Rodoni to invert properly, maybe, and then you have knockout flirting and floating and dropping into that space where Rodoni's coming inside. You'd love, I'd be, you'd
1: love to have Knockart
0: flirting. Yeah, he's handsome lad, isn't he? Um, I think that's that's where it needs to be because if town are going to get out of this, they they they've got to. I've, I've said it on this pod over the last few years, and it's like one of my stock phrases. But you've got to ask different questions. That's the thing. They're like, you you can't just keep doing the same things and playing the same way and asking the same questions in attack and expecting things to go differently because it just it doesn't it doesn't work like that, you know. And I just I think. I think Town have got enough to get out of this relegation battle, right? And there'll be some people who disagree with that. But I think they do have enough. And I think they do have a chance. But they—they they've really, it's about sort of utilisation, isn't it? It's about going, okay, yeah. we've got a load of round holes. We need the roundest pegs to go in them. And we need to find a way to, to hurt the opposition in possession. That's the thing. Town have been so passive in possession... That yeah, but I do I do think that they're being massively helped at the moment by a sort of whole cluster of weak sides around them. Towner, no matter what their result yeah. seems to be at the moment, they don't seem to be dropping further into it, or anyone's pulling further away. <laughs> but at some point, your luck runs out. So yeah, <laughs>
1: they're they're actually closer now. They've got the two points off with with two games in hand. So.
0: They've they've got they've got to take they have got to take their opportunity now they've they've got it's not going to get handed to them on a plate you know they've they, it's the same frustration I have with the whole game you know they were trying to protect a one 0 lead there instead of thinking well there is one way you can protect the one 0 lead and that's to make it two 0 and we're not asking for them to go like Keegan's Newcastle balls out attack, but you can't be so passive, you can't be so timid. And the big difference for me was that shift to four two three one; they suddenly look proactive, and that's what they're going to have to be to get out of this.
1: Because the structural side of a four two three one is clearer, and I think yeah. it gives the players that confidence of, as you say, you're not giving everyone half a you know a job and a half to do; you're giving everyone mm. one very clear job to do that's that's the that's the benefit of rigidity
0: and i think it makes your like without getting super nerdy but opposition analysts will be looking at your triggers and what your triggers are are in certain game states you will have sort of standard outs so they'll be right okay well in this game state if we know there's nothing on we're going to hit that diagonal to radona because we know we've got nothing on so jack should be on his toes looking to think okay there's nothing in, so i'm going to get on my bike and try and get into that space because any second now the ball's getting launched that way at the moment, it's so easy for opposition analysts to pick out town's triggers that you think in a 4 2 3, one there's actually a chance of them asking some different questions, of creating some new situations and just getting into some different spaces knock art drifting left and right and central just stopped a defender being able to stand in one space not even going man-to-man Steve just standing in one space and knowing he had whoever dropped into that space covered no issue whatsoever which is the situation town find themselves in time and time again
1: yeah I mean it's a you can't really overstate how massive these next oh. three or four games yeah. are um, you know I think there was obviously there was the the a fairly, to be honest, muted protest from the Count Shed Loyal before the game. The banner went up, it wasn't particularly accompanied by any, you know, sack the board or anything like that. It just sort of came out, went up and then came back in. Um, but I I think timing is probably part of that, you know. I think, I think everyone probably has at the back of their heads, yeah. But if we go and beat Blackpool mm. and Wigan and... And you know, win three out of four of Blackpool, Wigan, Stoke, and Birmingham, then we're actually climbing the table. Those are actually winnable games. You know, we, we're saying things about at Town. They went winless throughout January. They're still without a win in 2023. But Cardiff have gone without a win in 11. Blackpool have gone without a win in 11. Wigan without a win in seven, and have changed their manager again. Um You know, Rotherham have started putting some form together, but. Stoke are still indifferent. Birmingham won at the weekend, but they are a long way off where they were at the start of the season. So, yeah, there's still a cluster of teams there, particularly Cardiff, that, that town can get at. But they need to win these games. And I think if they if they don't win probably two of the next three, whether they're away from home or not, then they are not serious about staying in this league. And Mark is is not the man for the job. Like, I think it... I think we're at that point now, you know. We we've we've been on the fence with Fotheringham for a long time. With there's been times where we've offered defences of him, there's been times like today where we've had criticisms of him. But this is this is the crunch now for him. Um and it's time to find out if he's Captain Crunch or not, you know. Um he's that was awful. But exciting. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> Um, because they're, they're just massive games. And he said himself that this is probably where the the inflection point for their season, because they could move up the table, they could stay where they are, they could drop. Um, based on these games and I think if they drop that's probably going to be it because they're not going to get an easier run of fixtures on paper than they've got now. I know they're going to be hard games they're going to be slogs. Uh, I don't think they're going to be particularly enjoyable to watch whoever wins them will in all likelihood deserve those wins but it needs to be Huddersfield Town that get them um, because as I say it doesn't get any easier after this um, and you know Mark father has talked about the lack of confidence in the squad from the start of the season and from what happened at the end of last season, you can imagine where the confidence would be if they if they go and lose to Blackpool and Wigan now. Um, yeah. It really is vitally important that they find a way to win these games, even if it is off a, of, you know, <sighs> Matt Loughton scratching one in in the 93rd minute. doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I, th- I think it's not enough at this point to, to try not to lose games. That's the, that's the big thing. And it, it feels like it feels like the slight default for Fotheringham at the moment is to try not to lose the game. And I, I'm with you. It, the problem is we're seeing patterns at this point like it's not it's not just our oh, as a one-off and the thing is, I think the upswing we saw with Mark Fotheringham came down to organization, defensive solidity, mm-hmm. getting some shape back, getting some fitness into that side but the thing is they are all like they're not basics but they are basics if you know what i mean they are your sort of fundamental building blocks that you need to put together and that will take you to a certain point once you've got those fundamentals of shape and fitness and you've got some personnel back and round pegs and round holes then you have to add the sort of tactical complexity you have to Ask these different questions, as I keep saying. You have to make your changes positively. You have to be brave. You have to... All of these things have to come on top of that. And I feel like part of the problem is we haven't had enough of that on top of those building blocks. So, yeah, huge, huge few days ahead.
1: It really does. And I think the the problem that Fotheringham, Fotheringham has got is that he keeps talking about how they've improved things defensively, how they've got the shape better. And I think when you actually look at the lines, when you look at the structure, that is true. But for one, we know it's not paying off in attack. That's self-evident that it looked like they might have turned a corner over Christmas when suddenly they started scoring Mm -hmm. goals from open play. But um, that's sort of gone away now. And for all you've, you can see with your eyes, the better structure they've got. And let's not forget how much of a shambles they were at the start of the season under Danny Schofield. Because go back and watch those games. <laughs> you want to be reminded of how far down have come defensively, and yet they're still conceded. You know they conceded two against Luton, they conceded three against Preston with a strong team in the cup. That in a game that he wanted to win, there was you know no suggestion he was tossing that one off. They had three points in the bag against Hull, conceded a soft goal, ended up losing it, uh, or you know losing those two of those points, I should say. Coventry, two soft goals QPR, a soft goal so you can have all the structure in the world you want but if you've got players making individual errors then you're going to concede goals anyway um, and that really gives Fotheringham very little to point to in terms of progress because you know it's all very well and good having, having those lines and you would hope that that would stand them in good stead moving forward but we've been saying that for quite a while now and they're still conceding twos and threes um, and in fact they had stopped doing that for a while and they've started doing it again so although the league position as you point out actually weirdly is slightly better now than it was at the turn of the new year um, they're still two points off but they've got two games in hand now instead of one um, but don't, they need to get these results and it's it's very hard to point the finger at anyone other than Mark Fotheringham if they don't get these results.
0: For me, though, it's not just about the results, Steve. I, I've got to see them take charge of a the game. They don't. They do not take charge of a game at any point. You know, they they there are oppos. There's opposition in this league they've played in recent memory where they could have. I'm not as I said, I'm i I'm not asking them to be Keegan's Newcastle, but they can be the team in the ascendancy. They don't have to retreat. They don't have to be passive. Yeah. They don't have to well, they, they, work they, as hard out of possession. You know, they 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 can take some risks. You can leave a man a little bit higher. You can ask someone to drop in behind. It's just that's that's where I am with it, it you know?
1: It's all of the last five games as well. Mm because Luton they had the chance to kill it off at 1-0 Preston likewise Hull likewise Coventry we've said they got to half time and that game was there in for the taking for whoever upped their game and it was Coventry not Huddersfield um, and QPR you know you go in alright it's a shocking first half um, Town slightly worse than QPR in that first half but the, you get that equaliser and as you say Town with a team pushing for the winner I know QPR mm. had some counter-attacks but Um, you know, it was town that were pushing for the winner and they didn't get it. It's quite a a
0: continental thing as well that like, if you look across continental leagues, you very rarely tend to get like massive wins. And it's because there's an awful lot of emphasis placed on just sort of getting the job done and then sitting in and doing a little bit of sort of energy preservation and staying in shape, etc. Like the championship isn't really built like that. You know, teams, teams Mm. don't stop. (laughs) And, yeah. It's just that uh, I, uh, Town have got the personnel, they've got the defence and they've got midfielders whose characters are big enough and bold enough to, to properly impose themselves on a game. You know, I'll go back to that Hull game, Steve. I think Coventry a good side. I thought Town were rotten, but I think Coventry a good side. I still, I'm not on the Hull train at all. I, I, I They could mm-hmm. have... Town could have done so much more than drop 10 yards and say, right, okay, you're going to have to try and beat us now. We've got our goal. That's what they've got to stop doing. And they were a bit lucky with that goal on Saturday, Steve. It came out of absolutely yeah. nowhere. I think in the end, probably the draw was about the right result. Yes, but if they yeah. had,
1: I think everyone agreed on. But that But if afterwards. they
0: hadn't have got that goal and they'd gone in at half time one nil down, I don't think they'd have got a goal second half. And that's no. that's an issue in a home game. So it, it it does feel like there's pressure ahead. You know, a lot of self imposed pressure ahead. And I I don't I, I'm not I'm not. Quite as down on Mark Fotheringham as as I know a lot of fans are because I tend to take the temperature on social media a bit more than you do, and rightly Mm. so, really. Because I think the last thing you need to do is look on Twitter, but uh, it's also time to see something more, you know.
1: That's exactly where I am just
0: being well organized (laughs) because it doesn't always work, and particularly when you've suddenly become prone to individual errors,
1: yeah. We've we've not really two footed Fotheringham fully the way that we did with Carlos Corberan a couple of years ago, partly because I have been have <laughs> learned from that, um, and it turned out he was actually decent. But no, I think I think where we are with Fotheringham now, like I think there have been things you could say. We've said. I mean, we had this talk a month ago that. There have been excuses. There have been mitigating factors. He inherited a, a poor team in, with no confidence, with no preseason, and a massive injury list. But all of those issues, you know, that they, they've made those strides with the the defensive shape at least. Even if goals are still going against them, they've at least. I don't think it takes a huge amount of uh, tweaks to to stop those goals going against them. But I think it is kind of do or die for Mark yeah. Fotheringham at this point. Yeah, like I, I think it's. Is gonna. Is, i think even if you were of a mind to to go in and get the pom-poms out for mark fotheringham at every opportunity i think you would find it basically impossible to to defend him if they continue to get the results they have over the past month uh over the next few games because of the same issues yeah we we need to see some signs that those issues are changing and as i said i don't care if they beat blackpool off a of you know, a jammy home goal uh, on Tuesday. But as you say, then they need to, if they did that, need to follow it up against Wigan and Stoke with more convincing performances mm-hmm. as well as the results, don't they? Yeah. Because, you know, they're then going into games against Burnley, obviously top of the league. Coventry, we know they are they are a very streaky side, but that win they got against town could be the start of a, a more positive streak for them. Bristol City, that hit a good run of form at the moment. West Brom uh, are looking very strong at the moment. Norwich, they've got some promising young manager from the continent who seems to be doing all right with them. I'm not a fan. So, (laughs) oh God, right, I'm cutting that. Um, (laughs) uh, The views of David Hartrick do not represent the views of the Huddersfield examiner. But, you know, it's it's a very tough, it's a much tougher run. It's not an impossible run. There's some winnable games in there against likes Coventry and Bristol City, particularly with those games being at home. But it's a much harder run than they've got now. Yeah. So they're going to have to be a level better than they are at the moment to get anything out of those yeah. games, let alone, you know, let alone draws. Yeah. Um, and the only way they do that is by going up through the gears over the next few yeah, games.
0: Yeah. Firstly, I was joking about David Wagner before you all unfollow me. <laughs> But secondly, like the thing I would say about Mark Forringham is he's been true to his word in that he did just need to get them through to the World Cup, which he did, and then he pointed towards how they would be far better organised, far fitter after the World Cup, which they were. So he's been true to his word, but we now need to see what's next. That's the thing. They're not, they're not going to get out of this without a part three to that three-part plan, mm-hmm. and... That's where I'm. As I said, I'm nowhere near as down on him as as I think a lot of fans seem to be on social media. But yeah, there really there's got to be the next part of whatever whatever it is. You know, it ha- it has to happen quickly because going into that run of games, I think mentally Town need to be out of the relegation zone, which is a big ask in and of itself. But I think if you're down amongst the dead men, and then you're playing Burnley, West Brom, Norwich, like it can become quite soul destroying quite quickly.
1: <laughs> and so, what you're saying is, we're now at the end of Empire Strikes yeah. Back, hands in the carbonite, and we now need to see go into Return of the Jedi and the big triumphant finish, and then loads of Ewoks celebrating at the John Smith Stadium, at the Princess the Leia
0: gold bikini, you know, teenage hearts are flatter across the world. Um, but yeah you know there's got to be something there's got to be another part to it and at the moment I think our main criticism is we can't really see it can we? (laughs) You know, we can't really put our finger on what what the next evolution is, what what they're trying to do now. So, let's see. But it'll be, very, I think, a big part of it, Steve. To be honest, for both us, will probably be let's see what that starting lineup looks like, because that's going to tell us quite a lot, I think.
1: Yeah. Brilliant, David. What is your musical recommendation?
0: Uh, it's well, it's not something you can listen to, Stephen. It's something you can watch. <sighs> Imagine that. Um. Obviously, is it Fat Boy Slim yeah, again? Yeah, I've been on a massive, massive <laughs> Fat Boy Slim bender. Basically, I've just listened. I mean, obviously, I love the man, and I'm a huge fan. And it, I do do this at least once a year, where I just absolutely hammer everything he's done for weeks. But there was the documentary came out on Sky on Saturday night about his gig on Brighton Beach and I will say as someone who is a fan I was sort of in the front row anyway but it's it's a, genuinely it's a brilliant documentary about a time and a place as well as as fatboy slim it's just it's brilliant brilliant doc
1: there we go mine is a local band called worm boys Leeds based band the opposite of fatboy slim in that they are a very small up and coming band but they've just released their new ep Small time, all one word. Uh, I highly recommend you go and listen to that on Bandcamp or Spotify or wherever you get your music. Uh, I do have a vested interest here because it is uh, my best friend's band, so I should declare that. However, they are genuinely good, and I wouldn't be putting my recommendation on a podcast if I didn't actually think they were good. Um, So, Worm Boys. It's
0: a bit frustrating to me that you have other friends.
1: Uh, Yeah, friends who can play instruments. What can you play?
0: I'm not going to finish that. (laughs)
1: Cool. Well, hopefully town can finish their chances against Blackpool uh, on Tuesday and create some chances, preferably as well. Uh, We'll be back with you mm, probably next week, Dave, I guess. Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. See you then. then. (laughs) Goodbye.